I've been teaching on contentment for the past couple of weeks, and I just thought I wanted to make sure everyone was content. If not, I thought maybe we need to go back and review some of our old uh, uh, lessons we've been going over here out of Proverbs, but uh, if everyone's content, then we'll move on. Amen? Uh, and we'll look at tonight, we've got a different topic we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at uh, the idea of true friends in reality. Uh, the idea of friendship uh, is largely cultivate, cultivated by what the world claims friendship is. Uh, most people would divine, define friendship according to uh, what the world has specified that friendship is, or, or uh, however the world would define friendship. And we spend a great deal of time being educated from Hollywood, and they are quick to teach us, and they are quick to, and we are quick to sit down and soak it in. Sadly, it is often contrary to the Bible. Uh, social media also is real quick uh, to tell us who our friends are. I mean, after all, your friends are those people that like your posts, okay? And they like, and they share, and they subscribe, and they follow, and they, uh, those are your friends, right? Uh, well, at least so you would think, maybe on social media. And, uh, and so that's kind of the idea of the world and the idea of friends in the world. And uh, a lot of times it's uh, contrary, really, uh, to what the Bible teaches about friendship. And uh, the Bible really says a lot about friendship. I looked up that word friend, friendship, friends, uh, and, and it's used uh, well over a hundred times in the Bible. And, uh, and yet it's something that's not talked about a whole lot. I mean, we hear uh, some messages about friends here and there, uh, but the Bible talks quite a bit about it, and there's many examples of friendship given in the Bible and many instructions given about friendship in the Bible. And uh, these, will form, these will help us form a solid Bible-based idea on what friendship truly is if we'll look at these. So Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 5, the Bible says this, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you would just use me this evening. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would help us to form uh, biblical-based ideas on what true friendship really is, based on your word. Father, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. If, uh, if you guys could mute my monitors on the floor, I'd appreciate that. Um, I don't know if it's coming back in there or what it is, but I can hear myself. <laughs> I think that's better. A little bit better. All right. So uh, as we look at this idea, Proverbs 27, verse 5, uh, the idea here of open rebuke is better than secret love. The, the monitors were bothering me before church and uh, before I, I actually got when in, in the introduction and I read that verse and I thought, yeah, I probably should say something because open rebuke is better than uh, secret love. And, I, and so I had to say something. I, <laughs> I just couldn't let it go. And, uh, and so uh, there's a good example of that verse for you, all right? So uh, we're going to look at this idea of friendship, really. And, uh, and as we think about that first verse, it's really quite easy to understand open rebuke is better than secret love. 
And the idea that I put down for that verse is frankness, just being frank with people. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a missionary, uh, going to Peru was quite an experience, I'll tell you that. And learning a new culture and learning a new language, of course, is an experience. But learning a new culture, you find that some people, uh, are, the cultures really are very different. And, uh, and it was not uncommon uh, in the Peruvian culture, uh, we would come home from our fur- for our furlough, and uh, we would be in the States, and, uh, and then we would go back to Peru, and without fail, every single time uh, that we would arrive back in Peru, the Peruvians would look at us, and they'd say, oh, yep, back to the fat American that you once were. And those are the exact words they would say. They would say it in Spanish, of course. Uh, but, uh, uh, I, mean, there was, I mean, there was absolutely no uh, qualm about, about, uh, about calling somebody fat. I mean, none. I mean, it was just part of their culture. It was normal. I remember one time uh, the pastor pulled up to the gas station and, uh, and he's driving his car, and he pulled up, and, and it was a full-service gas station, and he yelled out the window, hey, fatso, fill it up, to a complete stranger. That guy didn't think nothing of it. Why? Because it, it's just their culture. It's just part of their culture. It doesn't bother them. I mean, those, are, uh, those are, are not offensive things to the Peruvian people. Now, to the American, I, I thought, man, if he... If you ever go to the States and you pull up to a gas station and you say that, buddy, he's going he's gonna to knock your teeth out. I mean, you just don't say that to a stranger. And, uh, and you know, uh, that's, that's being uh, overly frank. I mean, that's, uh, that's in America, in English, that's, a, that's almost rude. That is rude, really, in, in considering our culture and considering our people. But then... Um, so that was an experience learning, learning their, their culture. But when I went from uh, the being in Peru and then working with the deaf culture, oh my, the deaf culture was even more frank than the Peruvian culture. And to say some things like that uh, was just very frank. We're not very, a lot of times uh, we're not as frank. Sometimes we are, it's good to be tactful. Don't get me wrong. You ought to be tactful. But sometimes we need to be frank as well. Uh, and frankness with our friends. And open rebuke, the Bible says, is better than secret love. Now, don't run around church now after church calling everyone fatso, okay? Uh, that is still inappropriate in a, the American culture. Uh, but that was just to, to help us understand, hey, that there's a difference and, and, uh, and kind of uh, some idea of being frank. Save your spot here in Proverbs 27 as we'll be back here. But go, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19, I've had this story in my mind for a long time, and I've often uh, thought about it in the Bible. We're going to look at some frankness between a friend and another friend in the Bible, where they were very frank and open with one another. And it was really a good thing, and I've had this, this story in my mind of my Bible for, for many years, matter of fact, and, and I've never really had a message, matter of fact, I've really not been sure how to apply uh, this passage uh, specifically. And when I read the passage, open rebuke is better than secret love, uh, this passage jumped in my mind, I thought, man, I've, I've never used this passage for anything. Uh, it's a wonderful story. It really is. And it's about the life of David. 
Uh, David, as you know, had become king, and he'd been king for quite some time. And his, uh, one of his sons, Absalom, uh, of course, had had a little bit of problem in the kingdom, and, and finally he left, and then he came back. And when he came back, it was a short time afterwards, as David was getting up in years, uh, not, not real old, but he was getting a little bit up in years, and, uh, and Absalom decided that he was going to take over the kingdom. And, uh, or at least that's what it was rumored. And, and long story short is, is David takes his, uh, all of his servants and all of his soldiers and, and basically flees the castle and leaves Jerusalem. And he's heading out to the wilderness. And as he's heading out there, uh, they eventually, uh, they, they, there's, there's messengers sent back and forth and there's wise men involved giving advice. And it, it's, a, it's an incredible story, really, when you go back and read it. It really is. It's amazing to, to follow everything that's taking place. And, and finally, uh, finally, they're after Absalom. And, uh, and as Absalom is running... Uh, he had long hair and he got it caught in the tree. I always love that story. I don't know why. It's just interesting. And, uh, and he's hanging from his hair in the tree. And Joab, who is David's, I mean, general of the army, he is the top guy in, in David's army. He's been with David for a long time. He served him since David really became king. And there's even a little bit of, uh, of stuff goes on when he first came in. And, and it's interesting to look at the life of Joab. But nonetheless, Joab, the, the top-ranking officer, uh, finds Absalom hanging in the tree. And David said, don't kill Absalom. But Joab takes and he kills Absalom. And when he does, then he buries Absalom there in a pile of stones, the Bible says. And we're coming in after Absalom has died and after it's already been told to David that, that, uh, that Absalom is dead. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people, for the people heard say that for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice and, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons, and of thy daughters, and of the lives of thy wives, and of the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies, and hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes, nor servants, nor this day, I perceive, if Absalom had lived, and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Verse 7, Now therefore arise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants, for I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. 
and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. And so what we have here is a, a story, really a candid story, of Joab going in and being very frank with King David. Now I want you to understand this about this story just real quick as we think about this example. David was the king. And you didn't just walk in and rebuke the king. That would, like, that would be like walking into the president's office and just rebuking the president. Uh, you just don't get that audience. You don't have that opportunity. And, uh, and on top of that, that Joab actually worked for David. He was underneath of David because David was the king. So Absalom took a, a great amount of uh, courage to be able to go in and confront the king. But also there is a friendship between David and Joab. As I had mentioned, they've worked together uh, for all of these years that David has been king. And so they're, uh, they're, very, uh, they're very candid one with another. But Joab was a true friend to David. And you look at this story and you see what happened here is as, as David, of course, is upset because Absalom, his son, is gone. And you read there in verse, uh, look at with me at verse 2 and 3. And the victory that day was turned into mourning and all the people, for the people heard say that, how, that, that day how the king was grieved for his son. Verse 3. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. In other words, everyone was just kind of shuffling around and nobody was looking at anyone else and they just kind of snuck into the city and went straight to their house and shut the door and nobody was sitting on their porches and nobody was out at the markets and, and the whole town was quiet. Why? Because David was upset for the loss of his son. And, and, and David, for, uh, for a moment, I mean, it is his son, so you understand certainly his grief, you understand his sadness, but at the same time, Absalom had become his enemy as, as well and tried to overtake the kingdom. And, and there was certainly a war going on there uh, in, that, in that end. And so Joab then goes to King David, and he's very frank with him. And he just says, it's the Bible, as the Bible says in Proverbs, open rebuke is better than secret love. And he rebukes uh, King David there. And he says, listen, uh, to, I feel like uh, you don't have any... Look at what he says there in verse 5. He says, And Joab came to the house of the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters and of the lives of thy wives and of the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Joab was quite frank. He just went in and he said, listen, uh, you, you're upset and all the people realize that and they're all hiding and they're all ashamed because uh, we won a victory and we're back in our own city and, and Absalom is not the king and there's really no reason for them to be ashamed and, and they're all saddened because the king is sad and he's upset and Joab just tells him, he says, listen, it uh, seems like to me uh, that you would be happier if Absalom had survived this battle and all of us had died and perished. 
And he was quite frank with King David. And, uh, and his plea, I want you to notice this about Joab's plea. It wasn't a personal vendetta. Joab didn't go in there and say, well, listen, you totally forgot about me. You forgot about all the years. This was not a personal plea. You go back and read it. Matter of fact, it was a very well thought out and it was a very well prepared plea that Joab went in there. Uh, Joab didn't just go in off the cuff with anger and upset uh, about what had taken place. Uh, He thought about it, but he was very frank with David when he went in. And he was very candid with David. And he said, listen, uh, this is not right, that, uh, this idea. And he was very clear. And he goes in verse 7 and he says, Now therefore arise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. He basically gives them a solution. He said, listen, if you don't fix this tonight, hey, all these people, they're going to abandon you. I mean, they're, they're clearly seeing that, that you love Absalom more than you care about your people. And, it was, and Joab was very candid and he was very frank with David. Go back with me to, now remember this story as we think about this in our verse in Proverbs 27 and verse number 5. The Bible says this, open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke. Rebuke means to reprove. Check for the idea of correction. Rebuking is not just lashing out. Sometimes when we get upset about something, uh, it's very tempting and very easy, really, to lash out. And I want you to know that, that that is not what Joab did with David. He did not lash out. This was not a personal vendetta, but rather it was a rebuking of David. It was open rebuke. Uh, And many people lash out because they're upset about something, but uh, that was not what what Joab was doing. I want you to notice as well that uh, Joab wasn't rude in his... It was not a personal attack against David even. He was just pointing out a real problem. And he was very clear with it. And he was saying, listen, uh, as I said, he, had, he, had, he was not rude and he was uh, not rash, uh, but, but he did, he was very frank when he spoke with David. And I think of this verse, open rebuke is better than secret love. And he disagreed with David. And he let David know on a friendly basis as a friend saying, listen, if you don't don't fix this problem, uh, then all of the town is going to abandon you and you're going to lose all of your people because uh, your mourning for Absalom is mourning for the victory that we have wrought and that God has wrought and God has given us today. And so, uh, so Joab was just very frank. The second part of that verse, open rebuke is better than... Secret love. We can see clear disapproval with the open rebuke, and we can see concealed devotion with the secret love. What is secret love? Well, the first thing I thought of is a secret admirer. And a secret admirer, really, what is the value of a secret admirer? So you take and you write a note. I love you. You don't sign it. You fold it. You don't even give it to the person because then they'd know who it was. I don't know what they do. They slip it in their Bible when they leave or something. I don't know. You, you, you give them a note. And, and, and that person says, well, I, gotta, I love you, no. And then they're trying to figure out how, who it is. But, but 
what really, what does it do for that person? It doesn't do anything, really. I mean, okay, most of the time, they think, oh, my friends are playing a prank on me. That's what, that's what they think, especially college-age kids. And, and half the time it is. But, uh, but really, you think about it, what is, with secret love, how, how does that help anybody? It really doesn't because it, it's not known to that person who it is that admires them, who it is that cares about them. And, and listen, if you don't know who cares about you, then, then how, that doesn't help anything. And so uh, secret love in this idea of, of obviously that it's unknown and that it's not helpful. Uh, not only that, but, but it, honestly, if you think about this, there's an element of cowardliness to it, of not being able to tell somebody that you care about them. And, uh, and, and listen, I understand sometimes, especially when you're single and, and, uh, and trying to find somebody and, and you're interested in them, I understand the cowardly aspect for a little bit. But uh, listen, at some point, hey, you're going to have to cross the bridge and you're going to have to let somebody know hey, that you love them and that you care about that person. Uh, I mean, if you, don't, if you do not, there is no value to it. And, and then what's the value of secret love? Nothing. Nil. It goes nowhere. And so, uh, so we understand in this verse that open rebuke is better than secret love. And listen, there's a right way to go about rebuke, and there's a right attitude to go about rebuke. And, and rebuke is, as I said, it's not just lashing out at somebody, but rather uh, looking to try and correct. And listen, your friends sometimes uh, need help. They need somebody's outside perspective. Um, sometimes when, uh, especially David in this situation, you look at him and he's so, he's got his head so wrapped up in the fact that his son, he just lost his son. Well, he did lose his son and it was sad, but the reality of the greater situation was that they were losing the kingdom and they were on the run and they were out of the castle and they were out of their, their area because Absalom had risen up and had taken over the castle and had taken over the kingdom. And, and so there was really a civil war going on and somebody had to win. And so, yes, it was sad. It was bittersweet for David to, to lose his son. But at the same time, uh, you can see how he would need some outside influence to say, hey, uh, listen, uh, this isn't right that you're mourning over your son and not even rejoicing over the victory. So there's frankness that we see in verse number five. Verse number six, I want us to think about this. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithfulness can be summed up in, in three characteristics that I want us to look at tonight, and we'll not spend a lot of time on them. But the first one that I thought of, faithfulness, uh, and it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So uh, we can assume that that friend then is, is openly rebuking their other friend to help them out, to try and correct uh, maybe something that's wrong in their life. And listen, uh, it's good to have a friend that is looking out to you, uh, for you rather. Look with me in Job, save your spot here in Proverbs, and go with me to Job chapter 2. Job, the entire book, is really uh, a dialogue between Job's friends and Job. And I never really thought about this before, uh, but I, I've looked at this passage, and I've looked, at, of course, at the, uh, the entire book of Job as I've read Job and, and his friends' responses and, and things of that nature. Uh, but, but I want you to understand this. Um, in Job chapter number 2, in verse number 7, as we think about Job's friends, 
This is after Job has lost everything. And the Bible says in Job 2, in verse number 7, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. I don't think that's the right place. I'm in chapter 2. No, it's down in verse 11. It's verse 11. Verse 11, chapter 2 and verse number 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And I want you to think about this. Listen, when you have money, friends come. I mean, it's not hard to find friends. I mean, they're all, I mean, they all want to, they come out of the woodwork. I mean, there's friends everywhere when you have money. Uh, think about the uh, prodigal son and when he had his inheritance. Well, I mean, friends flocked to him because he was a party animal. But as soon as he lost all his money and he had nothing, I mean, the hogs were his only friends at that point. He had no friends. And so I want you to think about this. After Job lost everything, his three friends came. Those are true friends. The ones who show up after you don't have anything. The ones who, who show up after you've lost everything. And so these are true friends. And when I think of that, I think of faithfulness and I think of the, the love uh, that they had for Job. Uh, so it's been pointed out as well. Uh, look with me at verse number 12. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So that day, so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was great. Seven days. They just sat there in absolute silence. We're talking about good friends here. These are friends who came to mourn with Job. And, and you think, well, they rent the mantle and they sprinkled dust on their head from heaven. Uh, that, that would be their, uh, their culture. I, you, you're like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? That's, that was their culture. That's what they would do uh, to show mourning and to show grief. It's just one of the things that they would do. And so we might not understand that, but, but they were participating actively with, with Job. Not only that, but I want you to notice that Job's three friends, uh, these, were not, these were not idolatrous men. These were God-fearing men. They talked about God. You go through and you read the book of Job. Now, they were wrong in a lot of their evaluations about Job, but nonetheless, hey, they showed up to try and comfort Job. They sat with him for seven nights and seven days without saying a word, and, uh, and they, had, they were mourning with Job, and they, uh, they were sympathizing with him, and they were spending time with him. And I'm telling you, these were friends that were faithful to Job. They loved Job, and they loved the Lord. Listen, uh, thinking about that and in that aspect as well, your best friends should be Christian friends. Hey, young people, uh, some of your best friends should be Christian friends. I know it's tough to find uh, friends today. I know it's hard to find Christian friends. Uh, but listen, those are some of your best friends should be uh, Christian friends. And, and listen, you know, a lot of times we get caught up and you, and you think, well, we've got to have, you know, a bunch of friends. Job had... Three friends that he could count on. 
I've heard it said many, many times. If you have, if you have, um, if you can count all of your true friends on on one hand, that's not how the saying goes. You probably can only count all of your true friends on one hand. Usually you have less than about five friends who, I'm talking friends like Job's friends, who would show up for you when there's nothing left, who would show up and mourn with you and spend time with you. And we see Job's friends, uh, they came out of compassion. And listen, we, you reading through the book of Job, you'll find that they, they disagreed a lot. But nonetheless, they were there with Job. And they sat with him and they talked with him. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes, listen, uh, you'll disagree with your friends. That, that's just going to happen. Uh, and listen, sometimes we have to agree to disagree. Uh, sometimes people think that, listen, if you don't agree with somebody that you can't be their friend. Listen, there's all kinds of people that you can uh, agree to disagree with. I, working on, as a missionary, uh, we ran into a lot of people, and there were people that, uh, they were American people, and you know what? It, you don't have very much American fellowship in a foreign culture, and, and so some of the people you just agree to disagree. But you can still be personable. You can still be friendly to those people. They were saved individuals. And it was nice to have friends like that that you could uh, spend time with. And, uh, and listen, I'm sure Job and his friends had to agree to disagree at times uh, amongst some of their uh, back and forth throughout the book of Job. Uh, but the Bible says this in, in Proverbs 17, 17, uh, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I used to quote that to my brother, because I like the second part of it. Brother is born for his adversity, but a friend loveth at all times. And we see faithfulness of a friend. We go back to our Proverb 27 and verse 6. It says there uh, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, uh, a friend that is going to be there to correct you, to openly rebuke you, as it says in verse 5, and to set your path straight, those would be the wounds. And the fact that he's faithful about it and that the wounds come regularly means that, hey, he's going to be with you through thick and thin. He's going to come when you have things, like in the life of Job. He's going to come when you don't have things, just like in the life of Job. And he's going to be there for you at all times. That's faithfulness of a friend. We see love. We see loyalty. Job's friends came in his poverty. We see loyalty, thinking of David and Jonathan. There's probably not two better friends throughout Scripture that were uh, completely opposed. I mean, Jonathan was the son of Saul, and Saul uh, viewed David as his enemy, really. And Jonathan and David were best of friends. Matter of fact, they had a pact together, and they were loyal with each other. And, uh, and so loyalty goes along with faithfulness. And, and we're thinking about the idea of faithful are the wounds of a friend that would stay with you. He, that, that, that friend would love you. Uh, they would be loyal to you. And then not only that, but uh, they'd be long-suffering. Faithfulness endures a lot. Being someone's friend is not always easy. Uh, Job's friends that were with him, uh, listen, that was a hard uh, time for all of them, really. I mean, you're looking at Job's, Job's life was an extreme example. It really was. I believe God gave it to us for that extreme example. But, but uh, 
And so when his friends come and they're, they're trying to find the fault in, in Job's life, they're trying to point out, well, you must have been wrong somewhere. But the Bible tells us, of course, we have the written record and we know that Job wasn't wrong. The Bible says in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly with his mouth. We know what was taking place, that God was testing Job, but his friends didn't have that knowledge. They didn't know that. And so they were there and, and they were saying, well, certainly there must be something wrong in your life because, man, look at all the, uh, the, the, the problems that have come up in your life. And so they spent several chapters dialogue saying, well, what about this and what about that? And you must have done this wrong or done that wrong. And, and I don't think their hearts were bad intentioned. I think they were faithful friends trying to correct Job and help Job. And they could not know uh, that Job's circumstance was certainly one uh, of an extreme example example that was recorded in Scripture for us. And so I think they were long-suffering with Job, staying with them. And in the end, they were wrong. I mean, they, they, they falsely accused Job. But as we think about Proverbs and we think about verse 6, 27-6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So we see frankness, we see faithfulness, and under that faithfulness comes love, loyalty, and long-suffering that certainly uh, should be a part of a friendship. And listen, sometimes it's not easy, uh, but, but it's certainly worthwhile to be a good friend. Let's look at the second part of Proverbs 27 and verse 6. It says, it gives us a contrast for all of this. And he says, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And we see the falsities of a foe. Go with me to Matthew. Save your spot there in Proverbs. We'll be back there. Matthew 26 and verse 48. Matthew 26 and verse 48. This is while Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, of course, where Judas is about to arrive and, and betray Him. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 48, the Bible says this. We'll go back to verse 47. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, 47, And while He yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the, of the people. Uh, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying... Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And they came, then came they, and laid hands on Jesus and took him. I read that and I thought, what an incredible... This, this verse goes so well with our Proverb 27, 6, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I don't know if it's prophetic. I don't know uh, necessarily that it is, but I do know that it suits it very well. And, and this whole idea of friendship and true friends that are, faithful and the wounds of a friend and, and frank and they'll tell you when you're wrong and they'll try to help you and steer you and straight and they'll, they'll be by your side through thick and thin. That's certainly a friend, but it's contrasted by that of a foe in our proverb. And he says this, uh, that, that uh, in our proverb he says, the, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We find that Judas betrayed Jesus Christ with a kiss. 
And he purported to be a friend the whole time he was with Jesus. I mean, he followed him around and he, and he was served and, and he was with Jesus all the time. And we see the contrast. And listen, um, we, we see that a, a, a several contrasts that exist here. The foe will let you walk right into a disaster. And the foe doesn't show true feelings. And the foe doesn't show real love, loyalty, or long-suffering. As we think about Judas, you, you think about reading through the New Testament, there really, he doesn't show up in many passages, and there's very little that we truly know about the life of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus Christ, other than the fact that he did betray Jesus Christ. But uh, we can certainly see a contrast that exists between a real foe and a friend. And a friend is going to be frank with you. They're going to try and help you. And you might not always like it, and you might not always agree with your friend, but I tell you what, they're trying to help you, and they're looking out for you, and they're being loyal, and they, they care about the direction that you're going in your life, where, where a foe does not, and he's not going to care if you make a mistake, and he's, he's going to allow you to, uh, to be betrayed or, or fall into some problem. And as we think about the idea of this proverb, uh, that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, that word deceitful is certainly diabolical. That would be of the devil. And the Bible says in John 8.44 that the devil is, the, uh, he is a liar and the father of it. He's deceitful. Listen, he always has been. I mean, you go back to Genesis 3.1 and the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said. And, and that, that uh, serpent that the devil used was a, a subtle creature and deceit is subtle. And that foe will work his way close, but he won't say anything. And he won't help you. But he'll be close because the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. But I'm grateful when the Bible says this in Proverbs 18.24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. But then the last part, And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Praise the Lord. That, listen, we've all had, you, all of us, at some point, have experienced betrayal in our life. Somebody has betrayed you. Somebody has uh, stabbed you in the back. Somebody has hurt you in some way or some form. And I read that in Matthew 26 that we just read. It goes verse 50. After Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, what does Jesus call Judas? Friend. He said, a friend. You think about that. Let that... Could, could Jesus said, you traitor? Oh, he could have. Could he said, you, you yellow-bellied uh, turncoat? Yeah, he could have. But he didn't call him that. He said, friend. What an incredible, kind, gentle Savior that's exemplified throughout Scripture. And he called him friend. And I love that verse there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Listen, I know people, there's foes out there. I know there's false people out there. I know there's people that will stab you in the back. I'm aware of that. But don't become so closed off to the world that you can't be friends to other people. A lot of times people get hurt and they pull back and they withdraw and they don't want to 
they don't want to have another friend or they don't want to they don't want to get close to somebody else because it could happen again. Listen, Jesus Christ, when he was stabbed in the back by Judas, he called him a friend. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And listen, you allow God to be your best friend, your number one friend in your life. But then don't don't close off from the rest of the world. Uh, Allow your friendship to influence other people and and you be uh, faithful and you be loving and you be loyal and you be long-suffering and you be kind and you be gentle and you exhibit all the attributes that the Savior exhibited in your life. And don't be a foe. Be good friends. Listen, the world needs friends. The world needs to see good examples of friends. Our verse says, open rebuke is better than secret love. If somebody rebukes you, it might make you angry. It might, you might not like it. But don't shut them off. Don't turn them off. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Your friends... Sometimes it's hard to determine who true friends are. But they're the ones that are looking out for you. They're the ones that are there. They're the ones that are trying to help you in your life. And so uh, make sure you hang on to your dear friends and keep them. uh, And you be a true friend as well. As we have our every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you. For the idea of true friends. God, help us to be true friends to others. Help us to be frank and help us to be faithful. Help us to be, as we look at all, think about the ideas of being faithful. The love, the loyalty, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the kindness. And sometimes, Lord, we just have to agree to disagree. But we can still be friends. God, I pray that you would help us to be friendly, to be friends with others. God will certainly thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have just a very head bowed now, eye closed, as we just have a short invitation. we have in Jesus. What an appropriate song for tonight. Um, We'll just sing that. Let's sing that first and that last. Truly, Jesus is our best friend, and I can't think of a better friend or a closer friend than the Lord Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus, 589. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to